0: Hello, uh, this is Campbell and welcome to Get With The Program.
1: Hello, and this is Holly. Uh, So we're here to really dig deep into the world of TV and uh, talk to some of the people who are behind the scenes making it about the TV that they love watching and also the TV that they love making. What
0: even is TV these days, Holly?
1: It's all just content, Campbell. All just just content.
0: Just content. Just the old, just stuff. Created stuff.
1: Created stuff that isn't a film
0: is isn't a film. Or a podcast. Where do do you draw the line?
1: I don't don't really know. Um, Yeah, because you get hour and a half TV episodes. Yeah.
0: It's tricky. But you know what? I feel like you know it when you see it. Yeah. And if you know it when you see it, then you are definitely in in the right place.
1: Yes. So we're very excited because yesterday night was the uh glamorous awards night for the debbie awards uh which were our new talent awards that we launched this year um if you're interested in catching up on uh all the winners uh find out a bit more about them and what went on in the evening then um, we'll have all of the information across our twitter account and instagram account. so that's um at the network underscore tv will probably be the the main one for it but there might also be a little bit of cheeky overspill to um wants to watch twitter accounts as well so that's at wants to watch underscore tv and they are both also great places to find out about the two schemes that we run uh so the network is a completely free entry-level scheme for anyone who wants to start a career in tv and no experience necessary and wants to watch is our more senior scheme if you've been working in tv for more than three years and you're looking to kind of take the next step in your TV career, that's the scheme for you. And very excitingly, applications are open for both of those schemes now. Um, So they'll close on the 27th of April and you can get plenty of information about um, how to apply and all the different things that you get being part of the scheme on our websites. And very fittingly, someone that we know because she applied for the network a few years ago and is now doing
0: incredibly well is this week's guest yero yes always a treat to see yero and, and talk to yero so it was amazing uh yero at the moment is uh, working at bbc films as a commissioning development coordinator but that really doesn't sort of tell the whole story because yero is kind of doing lots of things and creating mm. lots of things across lots of platforms and if you're a fan of the random acts strand um you will have seen, she now has two Random yeah. I think, um, which you can check out um, at the Random Max website. And um, they are brilliant and really worth checking out. And we talk a little bit about the genesis of um, the first of those films and how they came together. So it's a really interesting story about having a re- interesting original ideas, but also a little bit about collaboration, uh, a little bit about animation. Um, and a little bit about Yero's process um, and also the TV that she loves as well because she's definitely someone who is passionate about TV um, as a watcher just as much as a creator. Um, So this is me and Yero and we will see you next week.
2: Hi Yero, thanks for joining us good to see you. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk
0: about all sorts, we're going to talk about things that you do but also the things that you watch and the things that you love. Uh, i sort of been starting nearly all of these with questions around going back in time to your sort of first memories of TV and what, what do you first remember about TV and did you watch it a lot with your family or did you watch it on your own?
2: My first memory of TV would probably be a bit of a luxury. Um, I grew up in a bit of a radio household, so being able to watch like Nickelodeon and like Sister Sister, Keenan and Cal, and all these like American cable shows was just amazing. Um, but a bit of Saturday night, like as my mum says, light entertainment, um, lots of uh, stars in their eyes. Uh, <laughs> that was kind of my Saturday night with my family. But yeah, watching things on Nickelodeon with my sister was like the the first kind of forte into what is TV storytelling.
0: And it's quite exciting when you when you think about all those Nickelodeon shows as well. They're quite different in tone to the stuff we get here, and they feel bigger and brighter, and like something more exaggerated in some way. Um, Although, like Sister Sister was, the Sister Sister was kind of a traditional sitcom, wasn't it? Yeah, Sister Sister was
2: such a traditional sitcom that it's actually coming back
0: with. Tia and Tamara. Tia and Tamara. Yeah. Yeah. And
2: it's like um, there's, there's kind of this new trend of revamping all of these successful shows. Um, That's so Raven on Disney Channel is also coming back. Cool. And she's a, a divorced mum of two, I believe. Uh, so everyone that grew up watching this can, can see their lives move on.
0: So <laughs> Raven, so it's going to be about Raven's kids yeah. in a way. So it's going to be like a childhood show. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Because they brought back um, Boy Meets World. Yeah. and all that, that feels like that kind of Disney 90s sort of space yes. um, and sort of watching sort of TV at a young age did you have a sense of it might be something that you would work in one day or did that realisation take a little bit longer?
2: Um, TV really allowed me to have a love of storytelling uh, it wasn't until I was a bit older that I was just like oh visually I quite, I quite like this kind of visual world of being able to share stories and, being kind of engrossed watching the news, and and even uh, before the luxury of Netflix and being able to watch films like just on the go, you know, kind of Saturday ITV two or Channel Five movie day, uh, especially around Christmas, um, it just made me think. I really like the idea of storytelling, um, but it wasn't until I was actually in a documentary when I was about 16 <laughs> that made me think, hey, this storytelling thing is actually a really viable career. And then <laughs> I went off and did it.
0: So you were in a documentary?
2: <laughs> I don't like to talk to you with me for that. And that accidentally slipped out. Um, so yes, yeah, so I was in a documentary when I was 16, um, about 10 teenagers from all over the UK that had about eight months to come up with our own fashion label. Um, so create the clothes, market it, find the models, get every, what, like, 300-seat show on the strand. And that was, you know, something that we were doing in between doing our English literature essays. And um, I then studied fashion communications at uni after that, but unfortunately I didn't realise that I liked the storytelling aspect of what I was doing rather than the fashion side. So that was a a real um, eye-opener into reality TV as well. (laughs) Um,
0: yeah with the opportunity of having crew around and producers and directors did that sort of was that a bit of a revelation to you in terms of what was involved going to TV or was it what you expected
2: it was such a revelation because I remember having kind of ad hoc moments it was an educational show but of course it was supposed to be fun as well for young people So there was this kind of moment where we were being told off because we were going to too many festivals instead of making clothes (laughs) and um, a a, a plane flew over the studio and then we had to do that whole telling off scene all over again and I remember thinking, oh my gosh, documentaries aren't real and um, I remember when we actually got to watch the edit um, eight months of filming into a couple of hours it's quite tricky and everyone kind of had a, a role I was indecisive kind of kind-hearted, naive one. Um, Someone was the, like, bratty one. Another was, like, the geek. Uh, Yeah, so much goes into it.
0: And did you feel that was interesting, or did you feel it was unfair, or...?
2: I thought it was interesting. I mean, I thought, oh, that's a shame. People who don't know me can see me as... Just going, oh, I don't know, oh, running around like a headless chicken. Um, but I think it, it's entertainment in a way. And I think, um, you know, people have come up to me and they've been like, oh, I saw you in that documentary, which is hilarious. Cause I feel like only three people watched it, including my parents. Um, so uh, I think it, it's just part of creating a narrative for a certain amount of, of TV time you have to show a whole, like, eight months. You don't have eight months to show eight months. So.
0: And when did you first start? Sort of writing your own stuff, creating your own stuff?
2: Uh, I started writing when I was really, really young, and they were just kind of silly stories. Um, I come from like a bit of a writing family, my grandma was also write to my mum, uh, but they were kind of so- stories for myself, um, and then when I studied media at A-level, that's when I started to actually think, okay, let me create these stories for the screen, and that was, again, it was kind of just a bit of a hobby. It wasn't until I finished my fashion communications degree, um, and I worked at this really stressful festival that paid me loads, but meant that I was exhausted. That I saved up and um, decided to do a semester in New York to study screenwriting, and that was really interesting because I didn't actually realise it was a feature film screenwriting course. And I got there, and I was the youngest by about twenty years, and. Uh, people kept talking about like you know the the TV shows, not TV shows the beg pardon uh, films that really inspired them and I was just there like have you seen the thick of it and it was really awkward and all of my references were TV references and I thought oh my gosh I might be in the wrong class uh, but I kind of stayed with it I wrote a really awful screenplay that was somewhere in between True Detective and Sister Act two and I'm, I'm, I'm interested <laughs> it was pretty bad. <laughs> And then um, came back to England with a really new and uh, kind of rejuvenated view of, like, loving British TV and thinking you don't actually have to run off to America because there's so many amazing opportunities in the UK.
0: And when you write stuff, do you come from... uh, Is it something that just kind of comes out of you in a way you can't really account for? Or do you write things that you think you will find entertaining? Or do you find yourself writing stories that you just think they're just not out there, Really
2: seen anything about it, so maybe I'll be the one to write it. I think I um, do a bit of both in terms of writing for myself and for audiences. Um, a lot of the time I think, okay, what am I not seeing? Or I like this, but I wish I had a bit more of this, or oh, I've seen this before. And then, um, as well, I'm sure, like a lot of other writers, a lot of these stories are just in your head for like years and years, and you put pen to paper and then off you go. Um, at the moment for example I'm writing um, I've just finished the first draft about a group of young carers and they've got very adult responsibilities and although they're quite young, like kind of stranger things age, um, what they're going through is so um, dark and so kind of out there that I've had to put a bit of comedic relief in because it's like so intense um, and I just think a lot of these stories of underrepresented people doesn't, you know Necessarily have to be just um, ethnicity and sexuality, and it's great that uh, we're seeing kind of shift in TV of new diverse voices and new talent in front of the camera and behind. But there are also kind of disenfranchised and marginalised groups that are like fighting for, um, but kind of wanting to show stories uh, from a dramatic kind of comedic flair, so that it's not just a documentary.
0: And as well as writing um, your own material, you're a script editor as well. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about how you got into that that side of of, of the business? And uh, for a lot of people as well, what it it entails, what what a script editor does?
2: So a script editor is basically a writer's best friend. Um, A script editor is a lot of the time the in-between person between a writer and a Either a production company or the TV show that a writer is writing on, whether it's their own commissioned show or um, a show that's already kind of been long running, e.g. Holby City, where I kind of got my first bout of training. Okay, so uh, script editors are really cool people. <laughs> I'm starting to learn uh, from going from development. I'm oh, sorry, going from production to development. It's such a huge difference. So production on Holby City. I was a lot of the time the first point of contact for the writer. And that is, you know, looking at the writer's tone, looking at the structure, looking at whether, you know, it's flowing, does the story make sense, are the character's believable, um, is there something original about, about these characters, about the story, what's the writer trying to say? And you're basically make, trying to make the best episode of whatever you're making as possible. And script editing is also quite tough because um, as a writer, it's being able to see both sides, it's so hard to say to a writer, this really isn't working, and you just have to really trust them and honour them and understand their intention before you criticise their work, because if it's a case of this is what I was trying to do, um, and then you're not actually seeing it, so you know the audience won't see it, it's just kind of tempering it and making it just that bit better.
0: Um, in, in some ways, are you the guardian of the show's overall tone for a little bit? If you're sort of looking after that, or, you're, or is that not entirely accurate?
2: Oh, I think that is, that is there is some, some truth to that. You work quite closely, of course, with producers, the series producers, exec producers, and other script editors uh, to manage a certain tone. Um, as well, going back to Holby City, where there are 52 episodes a year, if there's something in your episode that you're like so keen on having um you have to understand that whatever you play on a tuesday night there has to be kind of um allowance for for stuff coming in seven weeks time or just in terms of continuity and and the real world and fans are really like hardcore on twitter um you know if they see any sort of discrepancy they'll 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 really like try and go for it or um you know they're a really keen fan to even <laughs> even hang outside outside of Elstree uh, so you have lots of lots of people to keep happy um so you have to make sure that you're doing that
0: and is Holby the, the first job you had where you all, I'm sort of working in tv this feels like the proper thing the real thing
2: here Definitely, I think um, working on Holby was really cool because your office is above a fake hospital, which is so strange. Um, And it's really useful because if you need to go to the floor, you literally would just get up from your seat and walk down a couple of stairs, and then you're in a cardiothoracic surgery room. And um, I'd had some production assistant experience um, in other TV roles, but actually having autonomy to have like editorial judgment and to work in such a huge team where you're sitting in on meetings with the series producer. I think that was really the first role that allowed me to really feel like a part of like the TV world. And um, that really only came about from being on the network because I had an amazing four days working with Ollie Kent and an incredible group from Holby to actually make a short mini Holby episode. And if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have uh, realised the amount of work that actually goes into making an hour-long drama.
0: And what timeline do you sort of work to? So if we're looking at one episode. When, how far out does your involvement start? So say, say there's an episode going out this week, how, how far back would you have started work on that episode?
2: I would say it would be a good couple of months. I mean, the commissioning process is quite a long one. So a writer will come in uh, with the story team and script editors and producers, and they'll sit down and say, this is the storyline. And then a writer will say, OK, cool, these are the guest characters that I would like to bring. And you have to remember in Holby that majority of the Holby world is set in the hospital, unlike its sister show Casualty, where you get to go outside and witness an accident or some whatever, and then you get into the hospital. So Holby is set in between four walls, so you have to have a really strong story for it to be able to carry for the whole hour and have really strong characters that you're we invested in. So the commissioning process, and then after that, a first draft. A lot of the times in the first draft, you get a couple of weeks, and then you, more drafts come in <laughs> until you get to the fifth draft. So I would say for shooting script, at least three months.
0: And what are some of the challenges that might come up in that time? So it's quite a long period of time. Things change for whatever reason. What, what are some of the, the more challenging, unexpected elements of that, that sort of
2: period? Challenging, unexpected elements. You know, people go on leave, people go on holiday, people have got kids to pick up from, you know, nursery. That means that maybe one scene that you had with an actress in, she won't have to be in that scene or um, perhaps... She will be on another ward that day, um kind of thinking about logistics like that with the schedulers and people that work on the programming team. Another possible thing that might come up is uh, writers as well are hot in demand. A lot of them will be working on multiple shows. It's not just one show, so um, a lot of these deadlines you won't be the only deadline that they will be working to so you have to kind of manage expectations in terms of sometimes scripts coming late um there are times where i was in the office really really late and a lot of the time that is part of the job and you just have to think ah, this is to make the most it. Amazing, amazing episode ever um but there are some really fun parts, I mean, rap parties are great, and then when you get to actually see the dailies and you get to see all these really cool clips, of, like you know the lines too, because you've made sure that line is perfect, and um, yeah, it, it's just so, it's such an exciting job.
0: And as you say, really busy, lots to do, but you managed um, in that period to also create your own Random Act, which went out earlier this year. Um, and that's obviously a very different process, and obviously a much more personal story for you. I mean, could you talk to us a little bit about the yeah. genesis of that, and when was that a story that you'd always wanted to tell, and Random Acts felt like the right place to do it? I mean, how how did that come about?
2: So I'm obsessed with animation. Um, hey Arnold is my favourite TV show of all time and um, (laughs) I was actually working as a production assistant at an animation studio and um, was the only person of colour in... Well, actually, no, there were a few others as well, but um, the only person of colour that perhaps stood up a bit and said, this is wrong when they think... when, when just awkward moments of microaggressions where I felt uncomfortable. I thought, hey, why don't I just make an animation about... Sometimes, you know, your loved ones or your friends say the worst things to you. And I wanted to kind of make something about friendship and difference, um, but I thought, this would be great, but I'm not an animator. And I remember I'd just watched the film Anomalisa, and I went to a screening with Charlie Kaufman, and I went up to him at the end, and I was like, I really loved your film, I want to make, you know, something similar lol, don't have uh, millions of pounds in Hollywood. Um, so I pitched uh, a short animation to the ICA um, because they had a young initiative called Stop a Record where it allowed 16 to 24-year-olds who um, are new to filmmaking to make their own size film to be shown on Channel 4. So I applied thinking I'm probably not going to get it anyway but the application experience is fantastic. And then I got a call uh, to say, hey, we want to commission you. Uh, can you animate? And I said, no, I can't. So that's great. <laughs> and uh, loads of people were telling me about this incredible animator called Jessica Ashman, and um, we just kind of gelled, and it it became beneath the surface.
0: And it's such an what I loved about it: it's a juxtaposition between what is such a. Um, it's not to say that the subject matter isn't fun, but, like, such a bright, vibrant kind of animation style and quite, you know, quite heavy, complex topic, which you sort of have to cover in kind of a matter of minutes. But having seen it now, like, I can't imagine it being any other way. And for you sort of bringing your story to, to, to Jessica, um, was Jessica able to just kind of nail it quite quickly? Or did you sort of, like, discuss back and forth a little bit about how that animation might look?
2: I think Jessica just nailed it really quickly um, as well and she kind of script edited for me which was really funny because I interviewed about 30 women although it's quite a personal story to me a lot of the the themes that were coming up quite frequently was the the idea that perhaps I should have said something at the time so I thought okay that's really cool for friendship Um, and because the way my film is, uh, the narrative is set out it is it kind of looks like a 25 year friendship, and there's no way for the budget that I had I would have been able to cast people that looked exactly the same from the age of 5 to 30. So, definitely, animation um, was the best fit for that narrative. And Jess just, just, you know, she loved 90s Nickelodeon, she knew exactly the kind of story that we both wanted to, to tell. It was like our thing. Um, and it was really cool to be able to commission another young artist to be like, hey, do work on this really cool project and she's been able to do amazing things um, from it she's holding like loads of workshops with young young girls who want to get into animation um, and we're doing like a couple of panels together so I've made a new friend which is lovely okay.
0: that's the exciting thing about it being such a collaborative sort of industry as you say like, there's some things you want to do but like oh I can't animate but then that, that leads to a great place to Yeah. and have you got any ideas for, for new sort of self-initiated projects obviously you talked about um the 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 script around carers that sounds Mm -hmm. like that would be something that might not be something you can produce on your own necessarily or are you are you kind of open-minded about what you might do with that
2: um so with the young carers i'm really excited for that because it's like the first time i've just been like okay so let me just actually fully throwing myself into this and, um, you know, I've got my 56 pages, which is great, and someone that I worked with at Holby, who is also a, a one to watch, Shana Klenker, yes. um, has been really great in terms of just, just being really honest and saying, okay, this is great, this is great, this is great, okay, why is this, uh, this this irks me slightly, and um, <laughs> it's great to I just like that. So I've um, been in touch with a couple of uh, production companies and, um, People are really supportive, and I think um, what's really great about being in the industry so far, in terms of the two years, it's only two years that I've kind of been doing this, is that it's such a collaborative process, and there are producers that that really want to look out for you, and want to nurture new talent, and want to have new voices and diverse voices. So, um, I do want to make people proud and not disappoint them, so I'm really excited to be working with lots of people, and I think in terms of animation, Jess and I definitely want to work with each other again, so if anyone wants
0: to fund us, please contact me. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. I think, I think that, that, that's yeah. a really worth our pitch. And in terms of the stuff that you enjoy watching, obviously working on something like hobby scripting, you sort of know how the, the sausage gets made, but does that mean you can still watch dramas and, and enjoy them and not for it not to feel like, oh... Why have they done this? They've done this wrong. Are you able to sort of, yeah, sort of take a mental sort of holiday and be able to, to watch
2: things and enjoy them? De- I'm definitely able to take a mental holiday. Like, I watched Liar, and I'm just thinking, thinking, this is a... Oh my gosh, this is so tense. So, you know, I'm not thinking, oh, okay, this is, this is Laura's turning point. Yes. This is the end of Act One. Um, so I think uh, it's kind of given me a, a better uh, appreciation for really great drama, and also... Um, for other genres like comedy, um, or even just shorter form things like half hour things like Master of None, um, Insecure, Atlanta, Transparent, Search Party, um, and also British things like Uncle. Um, and I just think TV Forever will be something that is for escapism, education, entertainment, and I'm able to kind of separate both work and the, the pleasure side of it, I think. And there's
0: anything really sparked, uh, I guess, sort of an intense feeling or something like, Oh god! Like, like a, a, I'm really excited about this programme and you're sort of getting all your friends to watch it. Are you being evangelical about anything at the moment?
2: Oh my goodness, yes. So, um, <laughs> it's, just, it's off I play now, which I'm really sad about, but I'm going like, to start a petition to get it back. But there is a Spanish thriller set in Barcelona called um, Sequinellas. Okay. Also, I know who you are. And it is a 2016 revamp of a show slash film. I'm not that much of a hardcore fan if I don't know this, actually. But it was in 2000, um, but it's like a newer version. It has got, I think, 16 episodes per series. And iPlayer used to put two episodes on per night on Saturdays. And um, it's about a kind of not very nice defence lawyer who is known for telling his um, clients to say that they've got amnesia in trials, etc. And then he's found having been in the car accident and amnesia. It's uh. so over the top, it's so heightened, the episode is like an hour and 15 minutes. it's like sheer melodrama. Um, but I'm obsessed with it. Like I'm actually like so upset that it's it, I have to wait. I think till next year for it to come back I totally miss
0: this. So they're they're putting it out just on pair I it believe it's on BBC Four. Yeah, on BBC Four too.
2: Um, so yeah, the act, the episode very long, about an hour and ten minutes, and just just so much. It's like the most Shakespearean, over the top thing you can watch, and everyone speaks so fast, and I just love it.
0: Is it? tele ish or not quite that as sort I of feel you No, know, because I guess it's Spanish yeah. rather than kind of, yeah. sort
2: of American or every time I you know, talk about it, people are like is it like Ugly Betty I'm like no it's not <laughs> no. It's, it's very um, it's very heightened drama but it's slightly silly but in a good way I
0: recently found out and I've not seen it so I can't vouch for its quality it was either on Amazon or uh, Netflix but I think it was like a Spanish remake of Mistresses <gasps> Uh, which is something that I feel sounded really well on the remake because they have like an American version and I thought, I bet that's, because that was a quite an in intense show in its own way and lots of sort of twists and turns. It was one of those things I was like, is this mistresses? And I was sort of reading the part, I was like, Yeah, like someone's like husband sort of disappears and all the characters seem to be the same. So I think I I can't remember what that's called. I guess whatever Spanish mistresses is. Oh, wow, um, yeah, yeah I think it's on either things, but that sounds like that might be sort of the yeah, something to enjoy. And, um, well, we sort of talked about it earlier, but you enjoyed Top of the Lake as well. I... Yes. Yes.
2: Um, top of the Lake. Oh, the first season for me was just, like, just incredible. And just, just everything from the direction to the script to all oh, characters, fantastic. Second series, I made the mistake of binging. Okay. And, um... It's really naughty of me and I know that um I play uh, but all the episodes out as a bit poorly and I thought like, I'm just gonna watch them, you know, over like two days. Yeah. Um, and because it's so intense, <laughs> not a really great thing to to binge, I thought Nicole Kidman was just like incredible. Um just, yes, I oh my gosh. I I kind of feel unfortunately I was comparing it to the first series a bit too much. Um I thought I did enjoy it but the first series for me is just like i
0: watched the first series quite I think I watched the first couple of episodes and then I didn't end up watching the rest of it until the second one came on so I ended up watching them quite close together but I think I might be quite rare and I think I saw the second series slightly um, and I don't I don't know other than the only thing I can think of that was significantly different although there is quite a bit of humour in the first one there's quite a lot of humour in the second one. And it's also quite it's tonally quite weird. And almost like a lot of them it's like real like non sequitur It's just like like a thing, suddenly happens. Or um I think I think Gwendolyn Christie does a lot of things that are just (laughs) that are funny. Uh, But a lot of it is it's quite I quite like that feeling of feeling uncomfortable because it's like, am I supposed to find that funny? Because I'm finding this funny in this really incongruous moment. And I quite I quite liked that. But then at the same time I can understand that some people might be like that's not what Top of Lake's about why is it being so totally inconsistent
2: I think I need to revisit it and watch each episode um, in isolation yeah. I think that kind of a culture of binging that we're at now is it's slightly um, making us greedy yeah. and I'm like oh my gosh I want gratification now, now there's only six now.
0: episodes as well. So it's quite easy to you can sort of watch it at a binge pace but really I feel I feel I think I only watched it in two or three sittings as well, um, so I probably watched it a bit quicker than I would have normally. But I think when they're really short like that, you watch two, and then they are like, I am a third of the way
1: through. I might as well, might as well yeah. do it.
0: But it's, it's, it feels like a packet of biscuits. Like once it's gone, it's gone. Whereas yeah. longer American series, you sort of feel you do sort of need to binge just to kind of break back a bit, a bit. You know, particularly if you're watching that one. Yeah, and I, I do think the kind of mother daughter relationship
2: does really like well. Yeah. Um, for, for, um,
0: I'm sure I don't know the actress's name, the, the child. Oh, in the first one. Second. Oh, yes. I, yeah, I, I don't know why, she's been, I've seen her something else and that's completely out of my head.
2: But I thought she was really yeah. great and I thought she had the right amount of, like, misunderstood teen angst. Yeah. Um, and I, I do know what you mean in terms of, well, should I be laughing or not? There was one moment where there was so much tension between, um, Gwendolyn uh, Christie's character and why has Maura Hanna gone out of my head when she's the most amazing person in the world right now?
0: Elizabeth Moss? Yeah, yes. yeah.
2: Elizabeth Moss, I'm so sorry, I love you, you deserve every Emmy. Um, that moment where they, um, they say, I think Gwendolyn says, okay, like, what, what's your issue, let's just sort it out, and they get out of the car, okay. or wherever they are, and they go out like, kind of, like, patch it out. And I was like, where is that coming from? And I thought, actually, no, they have had, like, really weird, kind of, slightly moments together. Um, And and it's quite nice to have to see two officers that are women. Yes. And, um, you know, they're not, you know, the sexy cops. Yeah. Um, Which is a bit cringe, to even say. But, um, yeah. So uh, maybe I do need to go back and revisit and not be so...
0: Yeah. One thing I thought was quite interesting to what you don't see very often. I think when there's male detective shows, they're sort of like often might be like object of desire in quite cheesy yeah. way. It's like, hey, like isn't he cool? But the way in which it, um Elizabeth's character is sort of constantly relentlessly gets on all the time yeah. in a way that is not welcome. And it's just it almost feels like it's this little stream running along sort of narrative of yeah. I'm just trying to get my like you know, particularly that one again. We're terrible, coming in the names, the characters, all the actors. But we know what we're talking about, and if you've seen it, you'll, you'll know what we're talking about. But the, the the copy just cannot understand yeah. why she won't, to speak even give him kind of the time of day or be flattered by yeah. kind of the interest. But it feels like there's a bit of that through mm-hmm. through both, and you know, and with, with the characters like Al, who are a bit like, what's wrong with you? This, you should be flattered, but I'm, like you know, and that yeah. I, I think that I don't you know, I I found that really interesting subtle, not done in a straightforward way, sort of, um, well, I'm sure, you know, women have fathered that kind of stuff all the time, and it's never really represented anywhere.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I do, yeah, that was very subtle, and, um, the relationship between Quentin de Christie's character, or the affair, and the superintendent of whoever he it was, it's just, again that all that's supposed to be comical or true love. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just, I mean, just weird yeah. little
0: physical things about their, their height disparity and... and <laughs>
2: Buying a baby. <laughs> yeah. yeah
0: it's, exactly. It's, um, yeah, there's a lot of relationships and characters in there the like of which I've not seen in anything else and that I think mean, is what will always make it interesting. Mm. I hope it's going to come back in Well, well. the weather's sort of spaced out as well. There's no race to make another one and mm. hopefully Jane can in three or four years will. Yeah. revisit that world and those
2: characters maybe when Elizabeth is uh, finished the second series of Handmaid's Tale
0: yes which, which I haven't seen have have
2: yes. I thought that was incredible I again was told that it was quite intense of course not in the book um, but just being able to, to see so many women with such incredible roles, and they don't have to necessarily be superhero roles. It's exa- exactly what you were saying in terms of just like I'm just trying to do my job, I'm just trying to get on, I'm just trying to get by, and seeing these really nuanced characters that are in so much pain, or like there's some joyful moments, or there are some funny moments, or uh, rarely funny moments. I mean, it, it's the comedic release is, is minimal in that show. But um, when I saw all of the awards, I thought, oh, wow. Does really great ensemble cast um, O.T. Fagbene is incredible in it really cool to see like a British person doing really well abroad um, yeah I'm excited for the next
0: series yeah and I'm sure that was commissioned and put in motion before the horrible world we find ourselves <laughs> in now a bit but do you feel that drama or even comedy to some extent has a, has a bit of a duty to hold up a bit of a mirror to what is happening and and affect our feelings or, or highlight
2: things? Oh, that's a really good question. I really I was talking about this quite recently um, with some colleagues, but I think we're in such a, a incredible position and incredible industry to be working in. Um, just, just seeing you know three girls um, by BBC Studios and Hilary Salmon that was like a really well researched um, factual drama. About um really young, impressionable um girls that were abused in Rochdale and an incredible cast, but it 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 was such a nuanced, like it felt like you're watching a documentary, all the acting was so natural and and just little things like the police officer cough like yawning when a young girl is, is telling telling him about all the horrible things that happened to her. Uh, and that was actually like in the police recording, like he actually did yawn, and it's, it's like being able to have access to, to a world that you might not be able to see, and things like this state on Channel 4, that was one of the most intense things I've ever watched, um, and I found myself like falling in love with a, a, a character that has you know, left everything behind in London to join ISIS, And, again, his character was so nuanced, and you understand the recruitment and why people, perhaps the ideologies, why people then go and do things under false pretenses, and they get there, and it's like, where's the toilet? Well, uh, there's a hole over there, and there's this really funny bit where one of the the girls, she's supposed to be like a bit of a, a princess gets there with her makeup bag, and she's like I want to shower I feel really dirty they're like uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um and you know so many of my friends are like I can't watch it it's like you know it's too much it's too close to home so like, that's the point like it is real life and um I think we do have a duty to to show things accurately I think uh, you know documentaries do a really great job of of showing kind of underrepresented um Communities and you know breaking stories, but I think with scripts and content, we do have a uh, sort of duty to sh- make sure that um, the stories we're telling are as accurate and as, as um, what's the word true to the world that we live in today. I think.
0: Yeah, because I feel sometimes the drama you can fill in those those gaps in the way that a documentary can, not and I, I I don't know exactly how sort of decisions are made and. Um, I think a lot of the things we sort of talked about have come from about I have the Asia department, at the BBC and I think things like Three Girls and um, Made up by My Father as well and being different are and probably this is probably slightly arrogant about this country but I can't, I don't think any other country has a broadcasting situation set up where those things will actually happen You know, I, I don't see that kind of content quite coming out of America and I think it would be a hard sell normally. And I think if other people sort of look for justification for BBC, those programmes are it, like in, in their sort of entirety. Are there um, are there any programmes that you would love to work on that are big favourites of yours? Day like oh, i am going to work on that one day.
2: Big programmes that I would like to work on. Can I pick like all programs. over? <laughs> um, yeah, all over. There's, <laughs> there's a new comedy that's just come out called Familam, and it is so over the top and so incredibly out there um, and the great team that worked on it to sit like a couple of seats away from the, the drama team and um, just seeing them really hard at work and then watching what they produced. It was just so hilariously um, over the top and having like a people in front of the camera and behind the camera, just like a group of, of, of very talented black people that um, get to showcase their work. I thought that was really exciting. So Lam, AK, if you're listening, if you wanna hire me, please do. Uh, I would really like to work on Insecure. I would literally hand Issa Rae a cup of tea. I don't, you know, like, I, if you can give me a visa, Issa Rae, just to yeah. give you tea, I would um i just really love easterweight um and insecure mainly because again diy content is incredible that it starts off as a youtube series and pharrell put some money into it and then she started like a a bigger production company and um recently what i've done is i've printed all of the pilot episodes of like every tv show that i really love so uh, i printed out this is us because I'm trying to understand how like ensemble casts work when you write. Atlanta, um, Insecure, Master of None, Transparent, and shout out to Britain, of course, I keep being so American-centric, Uncle. Um, so I printed out all of those pilot episodes to see the tone and the kind of structure, and I kind of want to give myself a test over the next couple of months to try and write an episode in the style of the show um
0: and i would i would say with atlanta and mastermind quite challenging in a way because i'd say like (laughs) those pilots or indeed any individual episode that you might pick from that is not necessarily typical
2: no that's that's so true it's very um (laughs) each episode it kind of feels a bit like an anthology series in a way um because they're they're so different and it depends i guess on the writer but um the tone of, of not really knowing what to expect I guess is is quite a streamlined yeah, thing to quite a fun spec. Yeah. You, because in a way
0: you could just pick up on a particular character and do like a yeah. bottle episode or, or something like that. These really feel free to do it.
2: And I think as well, something that would be like really challenging, even just to like sit in the writer's room would be something like Black Mirror, where um, the you know you just with so many talented people and every story is different and people have really different uh, perspectives to bring, um, that would be incredible. Or actually, something, <laughs> I keep being like this, 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 but Line of Duty, oh my goodness, in terms of, I got into Line of Duty quite late, um, I think maybe when it first started, it, during that period of like, I don't know, was I pause, was I doing something, who knows. Um, but I watched the first three series, really, with my BBC Red Ups account that was amazing. having access to watch all these things. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I just thought, um, you know, that it's the only show that can spend 20 minutes in an interrogation room and it doesn't feel like it's been 20 minutes. And I think that's some, like, incredible writing and just um, incredible directing and story.
0: Yeah, in a way, that program does a good job of dialogue is it's almost like it's a sort of cheap alternative to explosions because it's just as riveting and just as intense as the stakes are so high i remember watching the first series and there was a bit of a gap between the first and the second and then it wasn't immediately apparent that it was coming back and i remember really enjoying it i think because we have always been like a big fan of many james and knowing he was going to be in it that's kind of I remember kind of my idea of what it was going to be before I watched it and then what it ended up being and what it is kind of now was quite different yet yeah, there is clearly like all of the pieces and it's quite a big world being sort of building from the beginning but yeah, yeah. I, I,
2: can't, I can't wait for it to come back I can't wait and it's exciting to see things that aren't shot in London yeah. as well and um I'm quite excited to to see kind of what's going to come out um, of different regions or or shows that don't specifically say like this is London and you know yeah. shot in Birmingham or in Glasgow and that's also the joy of, of TV also like putting different places on the map like Skin you know put Bristol on the map and loads of stuff shot Bristol and uh,
0: yeah. Are there parts of the British experience that you feel like, oh, I don't know anything about that, and I'd be interested to watch a drama about that?
2: I'm really obsessed with death, it sounds really weird when I say it. Um, (laughs) But there are so many, like living in Hackney, there are so many funeral homes. And something that I grew up watching, I think I was way too young to watch, was 60 Under. Again, one of my favourite TV shows I love is Jill Soloway, um, and there are so many different communities as well. I'm seeing in England who have like different ways of, you know, end of life kind of rituals. Um, so I, at the moment, I'm really researching into possibly looking at writing something about like a family maybe that they own a funeral home or something similar. Um, and I would really love stuff like pushing daisies to come back. I miss pushing daisies. It's
0: such a inspired, such a rabid. Uh, fan base and I <laughs> remember watching it did it even get a second season or a bit of a second yeah. season but it wasn't very long but I guess that was the first that Thomas will pace in anything, and he's on a line yeah yeah i would remember been quite excited about that Anna I was in it Yeah. so it was that sort of like a little bit fight when someone who feels very British he has some range very like, you know I remember when when the Walking Dead first came out and uh, probably why I haven't watched it as much as other people is for me, Andrew Lincoln will always be egg from this
2: life. It's, it's, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It's it, it's, it, it's, it's getting your head around watching people in, in roles where you're like, hey, this person's, this person's accent is... This is, this is too close So, to home. Yeah. But it's like, I watch, I've been watching um, Snowfall at the moment. Um, watch
0: the first episode, because BBC Two have picked it up. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I had no idea that um, Dance and Idris was from Peckham.
0: Oh, I didn't know. Well, you're <laughs> telling me now. I'm finding
2: out. I was just like, oh, who's this young actor who's probably going to go really far? Yeah. It's like, oh, like British Nigerian, you know, born in London. I was just like, okay, wow. Um, um, yeah. So there, there's so many...
0: So much is going on, in they they So far, I'm excited for it. I hope they sort do on It's early promise.
2: Yes, I hope so too. And so far, I'm really liking the direction, and just just it, this is really it feels like maybe what I, what I imagine '80s early to look like. Um, and John Singleton yes. involved
0: with well Well, he knows. Of Well, <laughs> I find a lot of high quality dramas. I don't know if you notice this, and you're writing stuff with this in your mind. But I've noticed now there's always a big tree. we got drones. Oh. And I feel like at the beginning of, of so far, and this isn't really a spoiler, there's just a shot that you couldn't have had 10 years ago mm-hmm. that just was like, and it it's a great shot. So half of me is like, I'm not knocking it. But I even noticed when Kirby Enthusiasm came back recently, that kind of went <laughs> with the drone shot. And yeah. Ozark has some great drone shots in it. But I feel they're at the, the limit of slightly taking you out of it, because it's like, well, that's a drone
2: shop. I don't yes, know. I know what you mean. But having a production, where you we got access to a drone, it's like, drones are so expensive. Yes. We have to, if you're going to have a drone, you can't just have it for one shot, you need to have it for like five. Yeah. Annals. I know exactly what you mean in terms of drone city at the moment. Um, they're fun, if I had a drone, I'd... Yeah be droning all day take it out have one for there.
0: Um and is there anything that you haven't seen yet that's coming up that you're excited to see
2: um, Search Party Series 2 yes I'm so excited for it that
0: I did watch in about two days that was that
2: was good I just thought it was just the last episode of Search Party was the most bizarre slash amazing thing I've ever watched um, it'll be quite cool to see them come together as a group and I think they've, they've painted
0: themselves into a bit of a corner there, so I'm very interested to see what they do do next.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but no, that I'm really excited about. Uh, Mother, Father, Son, that will be coming out, I don't know when. <laughs> but um, one of the amazing, again, Matthew Mosley, um, who was another person I wants to watch, um, is script editing that. And um, I don't know when that's coming out, but I know it's going to be amazing. What's that about? I think I know about it. About the father of the son? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh gosh, I should know this. Come on, Nara. Yeah. Oh. Um, it's about um, like a kind of medium noble family, I believe, and um, something happens and then they have to kind of overcome it. That's literally what it
0: well, sounds good and mysterious. Well <laughs> like kind of well, like well, like well, like, well, like the murder. Thing. Like Ooh, a, no, oh no, no, no. That's no, no. no. <laughs> the like, okay. I will look at that. Not like inspired by or like something. <laughs> no, not
2: inspired by, but it is that like kind of like where where media meets <laughs> politics meets family life meets quite like high, heightened. Tom Rob Smith is writing. Okay. Good.
0: And just to round off with, if anyone out there is listening and, and they're thinking about wanting to work in TV but don't have the first clue about where to start, what are some sort of good tips for people to sort of get into the positions to get started? What would you tell yourself if you could go back sort you know in three or four years? Uh,
2: um, if I could tell myself three or four years ago, I would say if you want to work in scripted content, um, get into script reading. I think people really overlook script reading as something that is like, oh, I don't have time to read a book before Thursday and it's only Tuesday. Um, make that time because it will really, really help you in terms of understanding the story, form, structure and also having um, contacts at production companies. Um, And also if you're really great at what you you do and if you really enjoy reading and pop culture and everything um, it will come out in your reports and it will really put you in in a good place when you are applying for kind of junior level editorial jobs so script reading doesn't just have to be production companies they can be like local regional theatres whether you're in Yorkshire whether you're in um, Swansea so reach out to, to your local playhouses Uh, I would say um, perhaps put a bit of a call out to people who are maybe living near you. um, You know, if you really, really want to make something or if if you've not seen something that, um, you know, you really want out there, maybe you should try and make it. Um, (laughs) If you have a smartphone, that would be really great. But uh, the kind of technology we have nowadays allows us to be able to just kind of Being this DIY culture and it doesn't even have to be anything that's more than like 90 seconds and just showing a bit about you or what you like the sound of even if it's like a news piece Uh, so definitely get to making things and I would also say make sure you read your CV and um, really read it and think okay if I was seeing this for the first time would I want to meet me Um, and if the answer is I'm not sure then it just means you might have to just restructure it move things around and really go through absolutely every role that you've had even if it is um, working as like a Saturday person in the library, really try and make sure you've written down um, really key skills that you've you shown like, confidence in and like using your, your own initiative etc because all of these kind of skills that you've acquired will come back to you and get you your perfect job
0: Fantastic advice uh, thanks for talking Yara yeah.